the Open Paddock Rallycast presented by Oz Rally Pro. This is episode 80 for Wednesday, May 20th, 2020. All the 20s! This week we welcome Steve Gingras, the two-time SCCA Pro Rally Production GT class champion, a little over, yes, 20 years ago. In addition to competing, Steve was also known for his work as a steward with Rally America and has recently returned to competing behind the wheel. We'll talk about rallying then and rallying now and what it's like achieving a podium with your daughter. This is Open Paddock, the Rallycast. Mike Shaw. Yes, you heard that right. Rallycast is brought to you by Oz Rally Pro. Uh, boy, it's nice to say that. Nice to have an actual sponsor. Um, of course, we have two sponsors this year, actually, come to think of it. I got to do a little shout out to Melee Design Firm and Mitch Meadows. They've been, uh, of course, helping us out as well. But we have a presenting sponsor. So we're very thankful and appreciative of the support of Alex and Rhiannon to show us, uh, you know, this new avenue of having sponsorship. This is kind of cool. Um, but let's not forget, my co-host was with us, a graduate of their classes, Ian Holmes. Yeah, good good evening, Mike. Yes, it's um wonderful news, isn't it? It's very exciting. Yeah, you know, I was thinking back to when I first started this show with you like five years ago. There was times when we couldn't couldn't think of anything to talk about. And now here we are, we've got title sponsors and we talk to rally competitors all over the world. It's really cool and uh, if you've got your beer ready i think we should raise our glasses in in appreciation of a toast to um rhiannon and alex at oz rally pro uh, i've got my guinness right here what are you drinking i have got um, well i have got another local brew from bobbing bobber over in hutchinson minnesota which is just like 20 minutes down the road i'm drinking their tackle bock my bock which is it is really nice it's um you say my bark i'm thinking of the car yeah <laughs> that's, yeah that's my bark no this is my bock which is like made with munich malts and mm. uh yeah it's uh, uh it's really nice i mean it's not not too hoppy which is good for me and uh, yeah it's a very refreshing taste malty malty with a nice golden color and this one's going to go down very nicely tonight Excellent. Well, we look forward to welcoming our guests here in just a second. And it looks like uh, it's not going to be just uh, Steve. It's going to be his daughter that's going to be joining us, Katie, who uh, did got that awesome podium with him uh, at LSPR. So uh, when we come back, we'll have Stephen Gingras and his daughter, Katie. Go. Five right short over crest into second small crest, 40, full F plus nips. Hi, this is Alex and Rhiannon Gelsomino from Oz Rally Pro, Advanced Rally Training. Are you new to rally or have you been rallying many years? No matter what your experience, we can progress you further. Our classes are team training, driver pace note training or co-driver training that are tailored to each individual or team. Email osrallypro at gmail.com for further details. Well, as I said in our intro, we have with us uh, Steve Gingras and his daughter, Katie. But Steve, first of all, I got to ask you, how do I pronounce your name correctly? Because I'm sure I've been just butchering it over the years. So it, it really depends where you are. If you if I race in Canada, it's Mr. Zingra. But everywhere else in North America, it's Gingrass. So Gingrass, okay. Well, hey, I like gin, so you, you, mm-hmm. that's a plus in my book. Yeah, so it's gin like you drink and grass like you mow with one S because, as we all know, I'm only half ass. <laughs> <laughs> now that's the way to start the night. I'm liking this. I'm liking this. <laughs> I'm rolling my eyes because I've heard that 
a billion times. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sure you have. <laughs> so, uh, well, we started off uh, earlier actually telling our, each other uh, what we're drinking tonight. Um, I'm just doing a traditional uh, Guinness here, and uh, I think, Ian, you're drinking something local, right? I'm drinking uh, the Tackle Bock, my Bock from Bobbing Bobber over in uh, Hutchinson. So at the Rally Pub, we got to know, what are you guys drinking? So uh, we stopped off at the the little brew pub in Big Lake, Minnesota, and we got this wonderful beer called Blissful Ignorance. It's a hazy double IPA with 9% alcohol and... Boy, is it good. Um, well, uh, as we always start off with any new guests that we have on the show, um, and I guess this is going to go for both of you, but I think we know uh, how, how Katie got started. But uh, what was it that first got you interested uh, rallying so many years ago there, Steve? I mean, y- y- you're definitely in it uh, a little ways back. Not saying that you're old, but, um, you know, the it's sport's fun. been around a while, and you've been through quite a bit of the changes over the years. So... The long, the long story is my first introduction to rally racing was the night when POR was a WRC rally in 1974. Wow. Mm. My dad took me down to the Marquette Mall parking lot, and we watched all these weird foreign cars with stickers all over them drive over this ramp and leave. And I couldn't pronounce half the names on the cars. But it was like Marco Elaine and Sandra Minari and uh, Stratos. And you saw the Stratos uh, that came to the U.S.? Yes, I did. Oh, I, man. I oh, that, that's just, that's gold right there. Yeah. So, uh, 74, I was uh, nine. And uh, I'm sure my dad rused the day that he took me there. But, uh, <laughs> um, so, that was my rally introduction. And then every year we'd look. I was always watching for these weird stickered cars that did it. And um, and then uh, and then my next encounter with rallying was uh, my one of my best friends in high school told me that a guy in his church was building a rally car. And I don't know if I wanted to help. Sure. So uh, that's where I met the Buzzard Brothers. Have you ever heard of them? I have not. So uh, the Buzzard Brothers. Were, uh, uh, they built a 65 Toronado with a 69 Toronado, cut in half with a 69 Toronado rear end welded to it with about 18 inches taken out of the middle of the car. 454 Mondello racing engine in it. The car was just this glued together eyesore. But uh, he, uh, he usually DNF with the one race that he, he should have won. He was leading by something like 20 minutes over Doug Shepard. And uh, he put the car off on the last corner of the last stage and they couldn't get the car out of the ditch. And Shepard won the rally. <laughs> Which rally was that? Oh, that was a small, I think the Lockview Desert Rally in, up in the Keweenaw. Um, but the, one of the first rallies I went to was Joan Jett, I Love Rock and Roll was the hit song. And it was the East Coast debut of the Quattro. It was the... Northern Lights Rally, probably around 82, I think-ish. And uh, Millen was there, and he was going to... He put the car on the trailer after, like, two stages with low oil pressure. Uh, Eric Zanz rolled a sob right in front of us on this gravel pit stage. Was Millen uh, using the... Was that the the Mazda, the RX-7? Yeah, it was the Mazda rear-wheel drive RX-7. Oh, the rear-wheel drive. Okay. It wasn't all-wheel drive yet, but it's a rear-wheel drive. 
So, uh, I mean, we had a lot of fun getting started. I think I was in, must have been a freshman or sophomore by then. Yeah. And, and then I helped another guy. There was a guy watching a rabbit GTI across the street from one of my friends. house, and I went over and talked to him. He told me he's going to build it into a rally car. I, and I was dumbfounded. That's when rally was, nobody knew what rally was. It was a secret, the secret cult of people that raced stupid fast to the woods. And he just told me he's building into a rally car and I helped him build into a rally car. And I co-drove for him one event. And then uh, he sold me the car. It was my everyday driver car. You're allowed to have a removable uh, crossbar in the cage at the time. And uh, I would take the back seat up, put the crossbar in, and do like one rally a year with it. Um, and I'd drive it to college and work everywhere around town. <laughs> it was my everyday driver. And where was home then that you're uh, competing in these uh, rallies around there? So this was Marquette, Michigan. I grew up grew up in the UP. Live in Minnesota now, but it was, living in the UP uh, is where I grew up. And pretty much you get out of the town, everywhere's a gravel road. So learning to drive on gravel and snow was a natural thing. Well, lots of snow up there. So driving skills were uh, even just going uh, going out to have fun on a Friday night. You're sliding the car and having fun driving, doing stupid stupid stuff. So, uh, Katie, I got to ask you now, what was your first introduction to rally? Obviously, your dad has a strong connection to it. Uh, do you remember your first one you went to? Honestly, I don't remember, um, but I know the story of the first rally I went to. Um, it was Headwaters, right? And I think, Dad, you won or you went up, you, you placed on the podium, and I know you went up with me, and you were like, oh, accepted the award holding me and I was like a month or something old. So that was probably the first rally I went to after being born. But growing up, a lot of my youngest memories are the rally car out in the garage and dad working on it or uh, building that early 2000 Subaru. And I remember one time you were welding something and a chunk of little chunk of metal flew into my eye and my parents had to hold me down and squirt water in my eye to get it out but I was little and screaming and didn't really understand what they were trying to do so I wasn't being oh. too uh helpful so so my story about that building that car was so the car is stripped to nothing it's just a bare shell no motor no transmission no interior no doors no windows nothing and the car's on jack stands like in the center corners where the eight where the the roll cage feet are going to be and which car is this this is a o2 wrx and uh I walk up to the front of the car and Katie's watching me as like, a, I don't know, what were you at? A if in 02, I would be five. Five. And she, I helped pick the whole front of the car up. <laughs> and her eyes get so big, like, oh my God, my dad can lift a car. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. We also have video of me, I think when I'm like three or four, sitting in your work car, dad. Oh, no, and I turn to the video camera and go, Keith, please. So, so it was a Galant VR4 when I raced the Mitsubishi Eclipse. And she's sitting in the car going, Brrr. she stops, looks at me, sticks out her hand, says, keys, please. And I'm laughing so hard, I can hardly keep the camera um, steady. That's teaching her right. I love it. Mm -hmm. um, so, Katie, was uh, this last LSPR your first time then being in a car at an event? Uh, no, we did Summer Snowdrift the, in 2018. 2019. No, it would be 2018, 2018 yeah. previous year. Yeah. Um, and then we've done Course Open and Course Checkout before, so 
I am no stranger to sitting in a rally car and no stranger to reading instructions while the car is sideways or we're doing stupid stuff in the woods. So, so after we did the first stage we did together, so I, this 2018, I was in a borrowed car that I had never driven in anger before. And I really had, I did the race a year before with my original co-driver, Mark, but you know, I really haven't driven much in 15 years. So, uh, and Katie had never co-driven uh, at speed before. So the first stage of summer snowdrift was supposed to be just to get used to kind of ease into it. Within two corners, the car felt really good. I mean, I felt really good. So I'm trying pretty hard and we get to the end. And, and what was your comment? I turned to him and said, that's shaking all the rust off. That's the practice run. That's a, that was faster than I expected for a 50-year-old man. Well, I remember <laughs> you saying, all I could think about was, holy cow, this is my dad taking it easy. What's it going to be like when he starts trying? <laughs> uh, well, two-time uh, production uh, GT champion, so, you know. <laughs> you know how to turn a wheel. A little bit. A little bit. <laughs> <laughs> but there's lots of rust there. But, you know, with this year, and then at Lake Superior this year with the, with the, our car. So we spent all of 2019 building a new car. And uh, we started with a $300 car from Arizona and stripped it to the bare shell and put a cage in it and got the whole car powder coated and then built it into an all-wheel drive, a uh, 2.5 liter all-wheel drive car. And first race was Lake Superior. And, and obviously that went very well. Uh, we'll get to that in a second. Uh, Ian, okay. I think we're going to jump yeah. into some stuff. Yeah, we need to. It's all right covering what happened last year. We need to get back to like, uh, like 1997 and 1998 when you were like PGT. See, never had too much beer already. I can't speak. <laughs> There's you. never such a thing as too much beer. <laughs> so this, you were the you were the PGT class champion. What was PGT class and? Uh, does it translate to any class today for those so, of us who are unfamiliar with it? So PGT is essentially a production-based car uh, that you were allowed limited modifications. So uh, that would translate to like, um, is it super production? Mm -hmm. What's it was the second fastest class at the time? All-wheel drive, turbo. There was no, <laughs> there was no. I uh, God, I can't think of the word in the in the turbo restrictor. There's no restrictors mm -hmm. at the time. So, uh, I mean, a, a production GT car like mine, probably 300, we were running, we'd run a boost controller to uh, bump the boost up way up on the turbo and wide open exhaust and lighten the car as much as we could. Still had to have a back seat in the car, but to take the back seat out, cut all the metal and springs out of it. So it's just foam and put it back in the car. <laughs> uh, and uh, it was over 300 horse and a lot of fun. Now you so did that. What, what I noticed interesting is back when you were competing in those is in those two years is you switched cars mid year in '97 and still won the production GT. Yeah, that was necessitated by a, uh, probably the biggest off I've ever had. So uh, STPR started off as one of my best races. We were actually beating Paul Schwenier on the road. He was having some problems, but we were beating Paul Schwenier on the road. Uh, leading Cal Lando by something like seven, eight minutes. Just an incredible amount. Just, I was just, I'd imagine the corner as I came into and the car would do it. Until uh, STPR has lots of traction, stupid fast, 
and not much room for error. And we used we used to use up use a set of carbon Kevlar brakes. We would use on a typical two day rally. We would use about two thirds of the pad, and then I get a new pad for the next race. And so we used the whole set of carbon Kevlar pads up, and the first half of STPR, and we went to a backup set, and that burned them off real fast. So we're basically we're running third overall, trying to maintain our position with no brakes. What an incredibly stupid thing to do. So, uh, but I was I had adjusted my driving style. I was trying to downshift into the corners and throw the car more sideways. And then there's one of the rules that I always teach beginning drivers that if you're driving through the woods and you see a lot of people that are there because something interesting is going to be ha- going to happen, don't be the interesting thing. Right. Well, <laughs> this corner we get to was uh, off camber, a bump at the apex, and the outside of the corner, the the cartoon bubble that flashed into my head was hockey boards. And they kind of did look like hockey boards on the outside of the corner. And another 10 feet up the bank, there was probably 200 people. And uh, came into the corner, and I threw the car sideways. We hit the bump, and the car's in the air. And it quickly went from, we're not going to make this corner, but if I bounce off the wall perfectly, we can keep going. And that was my goal, and I didn't make it. The back end hit first, and then slammed the front end, and the back end popped out. And we barrel rolled down the road like three or four times. And then uh, the crowd came down and we picked the car up and moved it off the road and uh, went and got some, gave me some beer and we were happy for the rest of the night. <laughs> <laughs> Lamented the car, but uh, you at least got to enjoy the rest of the evening. Yeah, so we, we dragged everything home. We got home and uh, I talked to Archer Racing and they had a, they had a uh, shell for me. I went and bought the shell and then brought it to... Uh, a cage builder here in Minneapolis, and he put a cage in it, and then we we moved all the com- components from the one from the bent car into the new car, and we went to Ojibwe uh, like eight weeks later, something like that. So you said that, that like there was like when you had this mob amazing crash, there was like two a couple of hundred people there at the corner. It's like what were the crowds like at rallies back in those days? Oh, I remember people jumping out of the way. I, it was. In some ways, it was really scary. Uh-huh. So it's like we see on those old um, WRC Group B movies from like uh, Sardinia, where it's like got a wall of people. No, yeah, yeah. wasn't It wasn't that bad, mm-hmm. but there was people walking up and down the stages and and people diving out of the way just as you barely get there, and it, it was it was scary. Uh huh. So, so one thing I was thinking is like ninety, like nineteen ninety eight. You would have been competing at the, at the same time as the original, the original uh, version of the uh, of the rally truck, because Dobermeyer and Rosen had that back in like ninety eight, I think, didn't they? I yeah, there were several different people that had trucks from Bill Holmes to yeah, Rosen and Dobermeyer had, had a truck. That was the husband and wife team. The Gucci's had a had a small truck. Guy Light raced a truck. There was a lot of trucks back then. Yeah, there was a. Wasn't there like a mini truck class? I think I think there probably was. Yeah, but, uh, we we need more trucks. Well, that's what this is. What I'm thinking. We need more trucks nowadays. We keep making things bigger though, so there's not much <laughs> of a mini truck anymore. <laughs> a mini truck today is what a one ton was back in 1998. Yeah. <laughs> Sadly, wasn't there, uh, wasn't there a block? 
in the yeah well it's still races oh really that was one of my favorite cars when i was a kid yeah i thought it was cool the, nobody drove trucks yeah the block it was a, a blazer and a truck and he put it together you, haven't you co-driven in that uh ian um no no i've only the only truck i've driven co-driven in is is, is scott's that's all so well who's wait who co-drive who uh crew chiefs for scott i can't think of his name right now uh jim cox yeah jim cox is the one who's got the block that's it yeah yeah so they took a blazer and a truck and put them together huh yeah yep. it's more fiberglass truck uh like a pre-running type gear arrangement oh, gotcha yeah, yeah but it's really a blazer frame because i think it's got a shorter wheelbase than a, a truck that makes sense make it a little more nimble yeah so one thing i wanted to ask you know we, we always use our good friends over at ewrc results they've got uh, everybody's kind of history on on events that uh, at least were were discoverable on the internets and whatnot and i see back in here you were in a mazda 323 forward was that the 323 gtx Absolutely, it was the rare Mazda 323 GTX that, um, I, and actually, I, I plan on doing a separate kind of podcast just about this car because it, only a few of them came over to the U.S. They're an import car, right? Mm-hmm. And it, it was everything that today, on paper, that you would want in a rally car. It's a hot hatch, four wheel drive, turbo, and this is all stock that come with this damn thing, right? Yep. Um, you know nimble little thing quick turbo i mean what's not to like um although i heard the transmission was a bit of an issue you know to your point because it was one of the first all-wheel drive sports cars with uh with like a mazda rx7 or a, a front-wheel drive uh sporty car you rev the engine up and drop the clutch and what happens you spin the wheels the, the weakest link gives out and you spin the wheels you do that in an all-wheel drive car like like a three two three, and what happens? The weakest link breaks. Well, the transmission is what's going to break. And my my theory of driving the GTX was get easy off the line, get off the line pretty easy, and drive really hard. And I got two transmissions with the car, and I did I swapped them out every year and send one out to go have somebody go through it. But I never had a transmission failure in the car. Oh wow! Okay. <laughs> And uh, how, how did you like that car? Because like I said, it, it seemed like everything, like, again, you'd get in, I mean, this is, what you know, going back to 1991 that uh, yeah. you had that car. And I think it originally came out in 89 that it came over here, 89 mm, and 90 or something like that. I'm not too sure what year it was Some, over. Somewhere around then. And what? there were only like uh, 1,200 that came with TDUS or something like that, or 2,000, something like very few. And, mm-hmm. you know, as far as, I mean, that's the specs you get in a you know uh, a little subaru you know wrx or whatever these days um as far as you know uh, what kind of components are all coming in there and just talk about way ahead of its time so uh well the car was 1.8 liter though where everything else is two or two five now um in race trim not sure ex- i'm not sure exactly what horsepower we had but i i was told it was about a 180 horse but the car was light probably i don't know 2500 pounds so, wow. uh, and, uh, you know, we, we did good with it. And I, and I went from a rabid GTI, you know, hundred horsepower to this one. So it was a huge step up, but I was so fast than rabid and I'd learned how to be con- drive conservative or not conservative. I learned how to drive efficiently in a low horsepower front wheel drive car. 
And then when I made the jump to all-wheel drive, I still try to drive efficiently and, and you know use your momentum and use all those same things. But now you're going much faster. And I did that. I did that for a while. But then the next car, we jumped up to the Eagle Talon or Eclipse next, and we used to joke that the with the GTX compared to the Rabbit. You better make sure you're pointed in the right direction when you hit the gas because you're going to be heading in that direction real fast. And if you got wide on a corner, you needed to claw your way back up onto the road. The, the GTX could do that, or the Rabbit, you would sit in a ditch until you got it on the corner. When we went to the Talon, wow, it felt like you're the. It felt like the claws of the cat got longer and more traction and more go, and you were there. It was significantly faster car than what the the GTX was. And and reliability was pretty good too yeah we you know the eclipse was amazing we we ever i don't know that we ever had like a well yeah we did i was gonna say i don't know that we ever had a non-crash related mechanical dnf and we did of all the races i've done and if you looked at ewrc it says i've been in over 100 races 100 rallies and that's not even all of them because there's a lot of club rallies and stuff that aren't in there right and right. so yeah. the one race that i'd want back 95 POR. We're leading. We're leading Henry Joey and his Evo by. Uh, I think we had a 45 second lead going into the last stage. We're on the transit to the last stage. We just left service. Our crew went left. We went right and went about 100 yards, and the rear diff exploded. Oh no. Oh. Yeah, we thought it was. The, we thought the transmission exploded, but it was. A, so we we pulled over and we're done. Even though we had a lock center diff, which caught, which is what probably caused the rear diff to blow. But we could have finished on a front-wheel drive. Had a nine-mile stage left to go. Henry Joyce's car wasn't healthy either. I mean, it, that was a, that's one of the few times that the, the Mitsubishi just kind of gave up and we had to pull over. That I didn't crash out of the race on. So looking back at that time frame, you know, you've, you know, you, you went from you know doing just the regional events like you're talking about there, uh, you know, kind of in your area and whatnot. And, you know, you get the 323 GTX and the GTI and, and things like that that you're uh, running. What was it that made you the decision to try and go for an entire championship? So uh, my co-driver, Bill Westrick, my longtime co-driver, Bill Westrick, we, you know, we talked about it and I got some sponsorship from my company. It was Act 2 Popcorn. We, we looked at this championship and how many races we were doing, if we could get the time off and find, get some help from friends to drag the car around. And it, uh, you know, we knew we had the speed to do it, and let's let's try to do it. So, uh, so we uh, made the attempt to go out west and uh, go to the East Coast. Well, I had lived in Boston for a while, so I was familiar with the East Coast races, and we'd done quite a bit of racing in Canada too. Uh, so the the Midwest and East Coast races were not unfamiliar to us. And then, but going out to the West Coast, those races are, were different and a little eye-opening, going over mountains and. Coming across the sign that says New Rock, and we didn't, what the heck do you mean by New Rock? And all of a sudden, there's all these baseball type size rocks we're driving on, which is, <laughs> it was really interesting. So, so, deciding to like compete in a national championship back then, I mean, rally wasn't as the big sport that it was, that it is right now. I mean, like, arguably, rally is much more in the, the public consciousness these days than it was back then over here i mean did anybody ever say what the what the hell are you thinking about why are you do this why what are you doing com committing yourself to this championship in like 
an unknown sport, a niche ghetto sport. <laughs> well, you're absolutely right about that. Back when we were racing, nobody knew what it was. It was definitely this cult car following of people mm -hmm. that kind of got together, and it was all your friends that all the country that you'd get together once a month and go race with and drink beer with after the race. It was there was a lot of camaraderie back then, and you were forever being the. I always looked at myself as an ambassador of the sport because back then there was nobody else knew what it was. So you're yep. trying to tell everybody else what it was and what it is and how to get into it and come help work. And, and you want to help crew? Do you want to be on my team? Can we, can we use your trailer? <laughs> <laughs> so, 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 so the camaraderie is, has always been there then. Cause it's like, that's, that's when I came into the sport and that's only like five years ago, I was like totally blown away by the level of camaraderie that there is now but so it was it's always been there been there for you right back right back at the start then oh absolutely it's been there that's why else why would we come back and keep doing it it's more than just the uh -huh. the thrill of driving through the woods stupid fast sideways and spitting gravel at the spectators it's the people people are one of the reasons you want to come back and keep doing this one other thing I want to touch on with the rallies back then, and for those that, you know, just don't know, is, you know, just how different they were. Um, you know, we've got uh, recce nowadays, uh, two-pass recce and sometimes we've got uh, Jemba notes. Um, uh, and, and notes, you know, I've talked about it a ton of times on the show that notes is just different. But also the length of the rallies, I think, maybe were a little different back then. Uh, give us an idea what, you know, what, what the rally environment was back then when you were uh, going for the championship. First of all, let me, let me talk about notes a little bit, is that, yeah, rally back then was blind rally. You'd show up on Thursday night late. You'd go through tech inspection or on Thursday night or Friday morning. The race would start like around noon or 1 o'clock on Friday. You'd have to do recce. You'd have to do anything. You'd just have to go to registration, go through tech, go to the start line. You, of course, you adjusted your speed because it was an unknown road. You were driving blind. You're going as fast as you can go with what you can see, and you're kind of guessing where the road goes by reading the trees and using other skills that are completely foreign to people now. Mm -hmm. And you could go pretty fast, but you, you have to go into a corner knowing that you, the corner might, might come around tighter than you think it does, so you got to put a little bit of reserve in there. And you just had to drive like that the whole time. Now people don't understand you know, how you can go so fast without notes. I mean, that, that's one reason why I like going to summer snowdrift. It, it's like uh, you show up and you do the rally, and it's, it's quick, it's easy. And I love hearing people whine about how how, fast, how can you go so fast in the dust or snow or fog where you can't see the road goes. It's like, that's what I grew up doing, and it comes natural, and I'm good with it. And were the length of the rallies any different back then? Yeah, so uh, the PUR, Lake Superior Rally now, it's the tagline for the race is the longest, meanest, toughest rally in North America. And the race would literally start like around noon on Friday, and we would, we would not get back to Houghton, to the, the headquarters, until the sun was coming up the next day. Until, you know, honestly, like 4 or 5 in the morning. We're, we're finally getting back to the hotel. The crew would work on the car basically all night. The driver, co-driver would try to go get, you know, three, four hours of sleep. And then we'd have to be back in the car and we'd start again like at 10 or 11 o'clock on Saturday. And then we'd go till like six, eight o'clock at night on on uh, Saturday night. That's a pretty long, pretty long day. And they would, the the some of the rallies where they cover cover most of the UP, like starting Houghton Goal, halfway halfway across the UP, you know, several hundred miles away, 
and have m mobile service crews that would leapfrog the cars, get mm -hmm. ahead of them, set up, and uh, do a service. And then they'd have to get packed up and get to the next place before the race cars got there. And right, yeah. And all night long and end up back at a headquarters somewhere and work on the car all night long again. On average, the you know ARA tries to kind of keep about a 130, 150 mile, competitive mile average if they can help it. Um, what was about uh, the competitive miles back then? I'm guessing more than double. I don't think there were that much more. I mean, 150, okay. 150, but like I'm, I'm pulling this number out of the air, but I think that this one POR that I'm thinking about I think the, the transit miles were like a thousand transit miles to 150 to 200 competitive stage miles. It was, but you wouldn't repeat stages as much, would you? No, yeah, not really at all. You do okay. stage, move on to somewhere else, cross country. So, so I'm listening to you tell it say about like 1500, a thousand, eleven hundred transit miles, and I'm thinking I complain about 60 miles transit <laughs> at um at, at like a jibway you know so it's like i couldn't i wouldn't be wouldn't be able to cope with rally back in those days oh yeah i didn't drive the rally i, I crewed for the dodge factory team for that for this race and yeah we drove all over the up we were we put a ton of miles on our on our service vehicle that night so moving on from uh from that time period where you're running in the uh you know going for the production gt championship um, you ran that talent for uh, several more years. I, I guess you you kind of swapped to the Subaru in 2000. It looks like. Yep. So, uh, well, I ran. The, I took the I took the back seat out of the car and tried lightening the car up a little bit. I'm going to sound really arrogant, but there was no competition for me in production GT. I I could win fairly easily without trying too hard. So uh, I I just took the car was still basically a production GT car, but I ran in an open class and thoroughly got my butt butt kicked but i could win club rallies and it was still fun but then uh then i had an offer to drive for this team in southern california uh, the night racing team and they had two crawford built imprezas that they couldn't hold the transmission together and they went to a transmission maker that makes the transmissions for the big trophy trucks oh yeah with mm -hmm. that are all automatics and they brought them a subaru automatic transmission and said can you make this so it can hold like 500 horsepower. And uh, the guy said, I don't know, let me take it apart and look at it. And he came back and said he could do it. So they had two cars that had Crawford motors that were, and this is no pre-restrictor. These cars probably made 450 to 500 horse and an automatic transmission. And then they offered me the third car, which was like the development car that they wanted to, parts that they wanted to sell to uh, the general public. It was essentially a 2.5 RS motor with a turbo on it, with, you know, fancy fuel system and uh, engine computer, but it had the same automatic transmission, but narrow power band and not what the other guys had. And we'd go to rallies and I would I'd usually be leading the rally and then, or leading the team, not the rally, leading the team. And then I'd break the, tra break the flex plate on the automatic transmission. And I did it like four times in a row. And then they finally upgraded it when the other one of the other cars broke the same part. They upgraded it to a, a stiffer piece, and uh, and then I got third overall at the Ojibwe Rally behind Mark Lovell and Seamus Burke. And oh wow! And so uh, that was the high point of that car. Yeah. Um, but it did give me one of the best stories, one of my best rally stories. So we're at Prescott, Arizona. The first night was this one 
one stage that was along a mountain cliff. I mean, the right side is like a 100-foot drop, and the left side is a, a cliff, a wall. And it's in and out, and we're driving through this, and all I, and it was just in and out and really twisty. All I could think about is how the manual cars are kicking our butts on this. So I'm paying really good attention to where the car is in the power and carrying momentum and trying to be in the, keep the engine in the power band, and I'm really working hard through all this stuff. And we finally got away from the cliff back into like more of a forest road that I'm more comfortable with, and... I figured I had to make up all the time. I had to make it up here. So we're going stupid fast. Uh, we came over a, like, a, like a, a rise in the road, and the car got light, and we drifted to the outside, and I stayed in the gas, and we clotted a rock like a half mile from the finish line. And it didn't lift at all. The steering wheel's upside down now. I'm still not lifting. The tire's howling in the fender, and we crossed the finish line. And they were writing the scores on a whiteboard. And we had the second fastest time behind Pat, uh, Pat Richard, ahead uh, of like Mark Lovell and Ramon Lagaman and holy. In an automatic. What the hell did I do? <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so we went to service, we went to service and changed the, changed the, there's a service right after that stage. We changed the control arm They reseated us. And now we're second behind Pat Richard. <laughs> And all I could think about is don't screw up, don't screw up, don't screw up. Well, uh, the road that was in and out, in and out, and it was really dusty now because the wind had died down. And uh, they gave us two-minute windows. And we charged off into the thing. And I, I tried to repeat the same thing. It was the same stage backwards. So I started really fast on the, the flowing roads before we got to the cliff. At the cliff, um, I'm just trying to do the same stuff, keep it in a power band, be nice and neat and tidy and carry my speed in this and we're going and going and all of a sudden the tracks that I was following that were Pat's tracks went off the cliff and we follow them right off the cliff and we oh, no. oh. I managed I managed to stop with the front tires hanging over the edge and we're, we're kind of looking down and there's Pat at the bottom of the hill and he's turning around he's blasting up the hill and the only place for him to go is between the trees where I'm sitting <laughs> And we can't go back, so I guess we went down. So we went down the hill. Pat blasted up the hill. We went down the hill. We turned around. We blasted right up the hill behind him, and it was so dusty. We're tr I'm trying to get close enough to him that I'm actually like in his wake. If you mm -hmm. think about the way a boat makes waves, mm -hmm. uh, cars do something similar with dust. That I'm trying to get close enough to him that I'm actually in his wake, where I can drive looking through his windows using his lights and see what he sees, so I can stay with him. Well, after I was running straight into the cliff or straight off the cliff. Oh, the best part about the story, after we got back up on top of the hill and chased, chased Pat, the road went looped right down around, right to where we had turned around. <laughs> <laughs> uh, wow. So, uh, well, after chasing Pat for a little while and almost driving off the cliff and into the mountain, we, sat and we just stopped for like a minute. And uh, and then proceeded. And then uh, as we got close to the edge of the end of the stage, I started pressing hard into the dust. We're coming up to the finish line. And we're probably 100 yards from the finish line. There's a 90 right, 90 left, and then across the finish line. And I started braking for the 90 right, and the, the pedal went right to the floor. No brakes. I felt the brake line pop. No brakes at all. I'm pumping it up. I yanked the handbrake. We, I don't know how we made it through the corners because we were going stupid fast. We, had, we ended up sliding like a half, or like 100 feet past the control car. Bill got out, and Bill had to get out and go uh, do the time exchange card back back at the control car. There's Richard is in front of us with his hood up, 
he comes up to me and says, can you give me a tow back? I don't have my engine died. I don't know what it is. It won't start. We're going back to the headquarters. It's like an hour drive up the interstate. <laughs> I said, great. <laughs> we'll be the go. You be the wall. We have no brakes. <laughs> <laughs> Teamwork. Yeah, so we have like an hour an hour ride up to the, the headquarters for the final NTC. And it's like 2 in the morning, and we're driving up the, the main interstate there, uh, east north-south interstate. And the speed limit is like 65. We're going like 70. And this, from out of nowhere, this car comes up, sits on Pat's butt for a while. Then he cruises past me enough that I can see it's a state trooper. We're still going 70 miles an hour. It's a... Sh- it's a short strap, like a five-foot strap that pats on right behind the car. So he drives past me enough where he identifies himself basically as a state trooper. He drops back. All right, only a matter of time till we get pulled over. I didn't change the speed at all. We kept going. And then he just rockets away from us and leaves us alone. He must have figured we knew what we were doing. <laughs> so, oh, I love anyway, those moments. That's great. We get back to the headquarters, and uh, Pat's car's motor's done. We fixed the brake lines and I run the next day, but it was nowhere near as fun as that night. (laughs) I scared myself enough for the weekend, I think. (laughs) See that you you had your co-driver was Travis Pastrana's Christian Edstrom for a couple there back in 2002. How do you get hooked up with him? Yeah, well, Travis stole my co-driver is what happened. Yeah, that's what what it looks like. (laughs) So... uh, can also steal me if he's listening. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. So uh, I had known Christian from when he was co-driving out in the uh, West Coast there with Bill Malik. I'd, I'd gotten to know him a little bit. And uh, Bill, uh, Bill didn't uh, come along for the, the yellow WRX that I built. So if you, you can look in there, I had a couple other co-drivers too, like Alan Perry co-drove for me a couple times. Yeah. And then... Um, I asked Christian if he was interested, and he sure and he was. And so I think we did like two events together, two or three events together. But uh, you know, I never really gave him a good ride. We never really went very fast or very far. We had some problems with the car, so uh, I, I feel feel bad that I never really gave him a good ride. I will say though that he was very professional as a co-driver, and I I was talking to Travis and told him that Tra- Christian was very good. And I, I don't I can't believe for a second that he. Well, because Jingrass said to use them, I'll ask him. But but I did tell him that Christian was a very good co-driver. Yeah, I even me when I was like five or whatever, I remember him coming over and having very professional meetings, discussing rally things in our living room. And he's very serious and very professional and well put together and had a plan and meeting objectives. And it's just in our living room and the car is out in the garage. and. <laughs> But yeah, he's he's very good at what he does. So so what you're saying is that who's this really professional person doing with my dad? Yeah. <laughs> yeah that, was, that was the thought bubble in my head when I was five. Back to the stupid twit with the heavy right foot drive in the car. I thought uh, I always like to leave a little gap here so that uh, Ian can jump in, but then he forgets what he's going to say. So sometimes there's little air gaps in here because I always talk over him. I'm... I come from an Italian background. You, you, if you didn't talk over somebody, you didn't get a chance to talk, right? Are you, are you moving your hands and gesturing? Um, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> the hand that's not holding the beer. <laughs> how, do, how do you make an Italian shut up, tie their hands? <laughs> 
Oh, so sh- shall we shall we get back on on, tra- on track now? I'm sorry. Yeah, I was also drinking my beer at the time, so that's that's my my excuse there. But um, when you com- when you look back and you compare all these cars that you've driven back back then, was there? Do you, do you have a favourite of all those? Boy, that's a good question. A lot of people complain about the hand- handling of the Talon, but I I really like the Talon. It to me it was predictable. It was reliable for the most part and i mean the motor made pretty good power um the wrx i raced i don't know that i ever fully got to the ability of that car i it's a long story but i had way more money into that car than i could possibly fathom or afford so subsequently with the talon uh or the night car i was driving to win Every second I could save, I was trying to get it. When I got to the Eclipse, that was, I mean, the economy tanked. I had a bunch of sponsors lined up that all disappeared. And I got and ended up holding the bag for how much that car cost that I couldn't really afford. I, so I drove not to crash. I wasn't right. driving to win anymore. I was driving not to crash. It wasn't fun. It was very stressful. And I don't think I really gave that car a good ride ever because, because of that. I mean, it was more car than I could afford. That makes sense. Yeah. So, so th- things really started to kind of change quite a bit. Like you said, the the economics changed. Um, obviously, we had the economic downturn after nine eleven and all that stuff, and then things slowly yep. kind of building back up again. Um, of course, then we had the the tragedy situation and insurance issues, which uh, then switched over to Rally America. Uh, but you still competed for a while uh, under under those rules, uh, just not as much, right? Yeah. I mean, with getting older, getting family family dynamics kids getting older you know your priorities change a little bit and well that's where I, I transitioned to being an official for rally america i looked at it as a way to staying involved in the sport and can still you know have some contact with all my rally friends all over the country and uh mm-hmm. so, so i did that and i did that probably a little longer than i should have i mean it, it was good i got to i get to stay hey i got to teach ken block his first driver's training class for rally so that oh really cool. <laughs> yeah <laughs> How many people could say that? Yeah, I was Block's first rally <laughs> training class. I I, I remember the, uh, the 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 rally the state the novice safety briefings that you always used to uh, before the start of the events. Yeah, you, you, you put the wind up me once or twice there early, and when I was on my first events there, when we'd be you'd be talking about you'd be talking so matter of factly about what could go wrong, what if you when you crash and you're thinking. And I was going like, "What? This is going to happen to me? Shit!" And you're just like talking about it like it's it's nothing. It's not nothing. Nothing unusual. Well, that's good though. I mean, when I did the classes, I really wanted to open people's eyes and make them think. Mm. This was, there's a reason why all the safety stuff is there. I, I'll complain about notes a little bit. I mean, notes are okay. I, uh, I'm not really that passionate about notes and blind rally, but I did like to give people crap about whine about blind rally. But all of the safety, all the safety stuff, to get people to wear Hans device initially, there's so much backlash for that. Mm-hmm. Cage improvements and all these other things that are in place to help with safety. I'll 101% stand behind those and say, yeah, we need all of that stuff. I I have been to rallies where people died, and I'll tell you what, it is not fun in any way, shape, or form. And if we can have spend another hundred bucks on a safety piece that that can save your life. I'm all for all of that. 
Yeah, I mean, even still today, we run into people that are like, hey, how come I can't still use, you know, my cage that was certified back in 1997 or something, you know, mm -hmm. uh, maybe not that far back, but, you know, the, yeah, well, people because that, you we know, know more now. And exactly. Are yeah. we, we improve over time. And that means, yes, that car was maybe approved for it back then, but we're smarter now kind of thing. Right. Exactly. It, it is a, a financial challenge for people to, to change out things like that. We get it. But. I, you know, as from the organizer standpoint, you know, when I put that hat on, everything we start out with from organizing rides from the very beginning, number one is safety. Yeah. For all the, the communication, not just all the, the design of everything starts with safety and ends with safety, right? Yep. Uh, so I, I want to kick back uh, talking about Katie again. So obviously being around rally cars and your, and your dad involved in racing, uh, then him also as a steward and going out to events and whatnot. As you're getting a little bit older, did were you just clawing to get into a car? Like, come on, come on, I, I want to get in a car, Dad. Oh, yeah, no, I was very much super excited always about getting into a car. Just I've been dying to get in a car. And really ever since I looked at my dad at the video camera and asked for the keys, please, when I was like two or three or whatever that was. Um, but, yeah, I've been dying to get in the car and um i was thankful enough that he was willing to drag me along uh a lot on a lot of his uh stewardship positions and yeah i've done a lot of spectating and working with that and doing a course checkout and uh gosh, triple zero triple zero just being able to do all that has just been it's been a lot of fun meeting all of the great rally people and you know being a part of this community. And I think it's really cool for some of the other people to, you know, see me grow up because I don't remember half of them all the time. Um, but then also it's just, you know, a really fun thing I get to do with my dad. And, you know, it's our thing. You know, my sister's not too big on the car thing and mom's usually home with her. So racing is the thing me and my dad get to do together and it's been our thing. And Thankful enough that, you know, we got to build a car this past, uh, last summer, which was actually helped me get my job. So, um, Tell that story. Yeah. Oh, so, yeah. So I, well, okay. No, I got to backtrack a little bit. Cause so I've been going to Ellis PR since, I don't know how, since birth. I was little. Yeah. <laughs> pro yeah. Pro probably <laughs> even before birth, actually. That's so, a, that's a story I'll tell you later, but yeah. <laughs> but yeah. So I've been, going to LSPR since before I was born. Um, and Minnesota, the state of Minnesota, we have um, the last couple, we have half a week off in October, which perfectly coincides with LSPR weekend, which means I've almost always gotten to go to LSPR growing up, which was really great. And it's one of my favorite rallies, the fall colors in the Keweenaw Peninsula is so gorgeous. Um, and I actually really got to connect with um, Camille Carlson, Eric Carlson's daughter, because she's the same age as mm -hmm. me. And um, we kind of both grew up in the rally community together. So I have a lot of special memories relating to rallying in the Keweenaw and Houghton specifically. So when um, I was getting close to graduating high school and I was thinking like, oh, I want to move away from my parents. I don't want to be by them. Oh, parents suck. Um, I really looked at Michigan Tech just because, you know, the area is so beautiful. Um, they have, Michigan Tech has great STEM programs. 
and there's LSPR every fall. So I could see, you know, the rally community and my rally friends. And then grandma and grandpa live, you know, two hours away in Marquette still. So Michigan Tech seemed like a no brainer. Um, so I ended up going, ended up watching LSPR every year. Um, and then this uh, spring 2019, I graduated with my degree in biomedical engineering. And I came back home, um, was still looking for a job. And I remember like the day I moved back, dad handed me a pair of work gloves and said, all right, time to get to work building the race car. So uh, <laughs> job hunting, um, I was building a race car with my dad. Um, and eventually, you know, I was getting interviews and the job I actually ended up at asked me, so what do you, what type of work do you do with your hands? Like, are you good with working in t with tools and stuff? And I said, well, actually, I'm building a race car right now, so I have to be really good with, you know, working with my hands and troubleshooting and trying different things and, you know, looking at manuals and seeing like, oh, this is how this lines up. Maybe I can try this instead. Um, and I really think it helped me land this job, which was my dream out of college job. And I'm really loving it there. And, you know, I still get to apply a lot of my mechanical hands-on things that I've learned working on the car and being around rally racing my entire life. So um, it's been pretty great so far. So I'm thinking if you were like bursting to get into the car and co-drive and everything. And uh, so just whose idea was the daddy daughter challenge thing that has gone on the past couple of years? Did you have anything to do with that? Have anything to do with it? Not at all. I don't know where you got that idea. <laughs> You're a horrible liar, especially after tequila. <laughs> um, no, I think uh, I think doing a race together has been on our bucket, both of our bucket lists since uh, since I was little, and begging to get in the car. Um, so doing a father daughter challenge at summer snowdrift uh, seemed like a good way for us to race together and also see some of the other father-daughter uh, teams out there too like uh, eric and camille carlson uh, mike and katherine hurst so yep oh hookies can't forget the yeah, hookies. hookies and engel and his daughter and uh anderson and his daughter yeah so so but her oh. yeah hurst gives me crap that he beat us so uh, i, I want to rematch <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that's very true. He did, didn't he? But uh, you were still on the podium. Yeah. Yes, I was. What was that like uh, getting a podium with your daughter? So, uh, oh, yeah. So, uh, so Lake Superior this year was the first race for the new car. It was the first race for the new car. It was only my second or my third race in like 15 years. So, lots of rust. But in a new car, and with Katie, Katie actually got sick that weekend. <laughs> she could hardly talk. She didn't talk at all between uh, stages or to anybody else, saving her voice. She could talk a little bit in the car, but it. Oh my gosh, I remember that. Yeah, she couldn't talk at all. Yeah, so uh, we had the mics cranked all the way up in the car so I could barely hear her. But uh, she did an awesome job. Although every other car I've ever raced, the intercom was tied to the car power. This is the first intercom I've had that had a battery in it. That uh, we never changed over Saturday or Friday night. So Saturday stage one went fine. Stage two, the battery died. <laughs> oh no! 
So about a quarter of the way through the stage, I just didn't, I just ignored her and kind of went back to my roots and driving blind and riding, trying to. That was the interesting thing. It, it made me better because listening to notes, I'm focusing on the corner she's telling me about right in front of me, and I'm using my hand gestures like you do, Mike, right now to show you the road. I'm focusing right here down low in front of me. But once, once I couldn't hear her anymore, it forced me to lift my eyes up and start reading the trees and trying to see further down the road or on corners before we got there. And our stage time on, on Mangi, not, it wasn't Mangi Creek, it was uh, Herman Astoria stage, stage two. And I don't know what other stage was. We were only like 10 seconds slower without notes than we were with. So I uh, felt pretty good about that. And then for the rest of the day though, I'm trying to, trying to use my blind rally skills and taking in the information she's given me to add to the, information to adjust my speed for each corner and i was working i still want to do more i still drove i still drove very conservatively i felt at the rally and you're right we finished third uh third in production or in third in open light and fifth overall in the regional if we would have been in Nashville, i think we would have been something like 14th overall and fourth in class but uh i blew my podium speech <laughs> totally blew it so uh, the speech I should have gave was that 22 years ago, I was on the national podium, third overall, and I announced to the rally world and to all my friends that my wife was pregnant with our first child. And 23 years later, I'm standing on the podium, third overall, or third in class, with my daughter, and that's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Well, you sort of forgot about it after I went up with no voice. After and... you ran up and stole the mic. <laughs> Yeah, they, yeah. There'd been a there'd been a team that had gone up earlier, and they had also lost their mic for like one stage. Yeah, for a stage, and um, they were complaining about having to yell notes to each other um, over the sound of the car. So at LCR, I ran up to the stage. I grabbed the microphone, and um, the some of the people that I'd interact with over the event they were yelling speech katie speech 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 so i took the microphone and i said to the team that was complaining about not having any mics earlier it could always be worse of course you said this but yeah i said it with my yeah tough times yeah that was pretty rough pretty rough yeah, I, I don't. I didn't get it back for my voice back for another week or so after the Good race. Grief. So, yeah, it was a fun time. <laughs> yeah, I know. I've I've sh- I've shouted myself hoarse several times, many times over rally weekends. But I can't imagine not 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 getting my voice back for a week. That would be that be. I've suffered for a couple of days, but a week would just like do me in. I think. <laughs> I, I got a lot of crap about it at work the following week, so. <laughs> I've got my hands. I'd be fine. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was having her point. I was telling her to point and do stuff, too, so. There you go. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, you know, Steve, you've been uh, around rallying, like I said, through, through several different eras of it, uh, through different sanctioning bodies and different uh, ups and downs and whatnot. Uh, one of the things we kind of just like to discuss sometimes is, you know, what do you think I mean, it's kind of been on this growth curve um over the last couple of years up until the current crisis anyways 
do you think that it's kind of going in that right direction as far as how they've been kind of steering it? Um, or is there areas you think that they, you wish they could emphasize more? Because I, I know there's always kind of this, you know, I've, I've talked about this many times on the show, is this challenge between trying to do what's best to try and encourage uh, sponsors and uh, fans and things like that, kind of the more the promotional side and, and try and draw people in that way. But then there's also still trying to focus on the grassroots and those people and trying to cut costs and the two trying to balance those two things. They really are two entirely different directions. Um, but I guess, you know, trying to balance that is always difficult. And I guess I was just curious what you think of uh, what rallying's like today, I guess, uh, from the years that you've seen and if there's any changes you'd like to see. That's a tough question. I don't know. You know, you said that they're entirely different things, you know, trying to cater to the top teams versus the grassroots motorsports people. Well, I think they're, in, I think they're one and the same with a little differences, though. If, if we can attract some top teams, like, like Subaru, maybe Ford, or some other, some other privateer teams that, that uh, have some big wallets that can, uh, you know, promote themselves, and, and in, in, in essence, are, they're also promoting the sport, which is good for the little guy, even though he's not going to get on TV and I'm yeah, they get Subaru pays for a TV show and the guy that's, you know, 45th on the road complains, he didn't get any airtime. Well, I'm sorry. It's too bad because Subaru is on TV with a rally or on a podcast with a rally or, or a, a YouTube show showing rally that you were in, you can bring that to, to local sponsors and get, get some sponsors and stuff. Or so I think that, yeah, just because you didn't get on TV, it doesn't mean that Subaru's not helping you. It's still right. elevating the level yeah. of the sport. It's still getting media hits and drawing more people to the sport that might want to help you, that might want to, you know, crew with you, or might want to co-drive with you, or might want to share expenses with you at going to a rally, because Subaru is putting it out there. Back in the day when I started, nobody knew what rallying was at all, and they'd look at you like, "You do what? You go off-roading with a rabbit GTI?" That can't be very good. Well, we're on gravel roads and we're going fast. We're not slogging through mud holes, even though we are sometimes. But, <laughs> but I, I think people need to understand that just because you don't get on Subaru's podcast, that you're not get. It's not benefiting you. It benefits everybody. You know, uh, this is something you know, to jump in from my side. You know, again, I, the organizer standpoint is, you know, this year's spectator that's drawn in from that marketing that's done is next year's volunteer. And it takes so many volunteers to run these events, tons, and they burn out. And the more we can keep those coming in, the better. Um, That's a a side of it that I've always... And then from the sponsorship standpoint, what? Subaru's going to be there? Then XYZ sponsors want to sign up to sponsor the event itself. And that helps the event cut costs, which then in turn cuts costs for entry fees, which then benefits that guy that's running 45th on the road. Yes, and but he doesn't see that. He's just mad that he didn't get on TV. And uh, it's yeah, it's unfortunate, but I'm sorry, you didn't pay for the show. You don't get to be on it. Mm-hmm. So unless unless you do something really exciting, which I've never done before, I don't know what they're talking about. There. <laughs> <laughs> oh um, come on, you, it sounds like another story here. Well, no. Well, okay. Out in the Northwest, <laughs> I was uh, I'd mentioned the the new rock one time. Well. Every time we get on ESPN, we had a flat tire because the rocks were getting caught in our rear, rear calipers and wearing through the inside of the rim. 
Mm, yeah. And every and there's Steve Gingras with another flat tire. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, I think we had six or seven flat tires. We had to go all buy all new rims after that. It was just this. Uh. Um, no, what I, I wanted to continue on the topic though a little bit. Sure. Um, you said you were at the LSPR end of season banquet, right? Where Katie yes, made sir. a speech. So before before they did announcements, Buffum got up and he said, uh, "Anybody that was here in the in the uh, zero zeros and help put the rally on stand up and you know, like." Oh, actually, that's this was brilliant. Actually, he 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 started out yeah. So so basically, he went back through time of how, so kind of everybody stood up, right? Who's a volunteer today? You know, basically, so all volunteers and people involved in the rally stand up. And then it was what uh, from the twenty tens on back, everybody. Yeah, it, then anybody, yeah. So sit down, right? Yeah, he went by decade. He went all the way back to like the seventies, I think. And there were still some people standing. Uh, there were still what? like twenty people standing, which is pretty cool, but also really scary. That we still have people that are that old in key positions. This is this is a problem for the whole rally community, not Lake Superior. This is a rally community problem that we don't have new blood in key positions. This is one of my been one of my my key points that I've tried to make with organizers. I've been trying for the last five years. I've been trying to encourage organizers to have assistance in all the key positions that training assistants that could take over for them if they want to go to a different job or take take over but yeah we we're not getting enough new blood so the last couple years with with katie's help and camille carlson and eric carlson's help we've been hosting rally night at michigan tech like on the thursday before the rally with the sae yeah yeah the society of automotive engineers would help sponsor the event and they'd they'd uh reserve a room for us a big lecture hall and they'd buy a ridiculous amount of pizzas and then I would invite uh, speakers like Travis Pastrana came one year, David Higgins a different year. Rihanna Gelsomino. Mm, yeah, Gelsomino's came. Um, Matt Hookey, different drivers. Oh, Dante's would come pretty yeah. regularly. Dante's He's tried to. UP. I try to get local UP drivers or people that had ties to Michigan Tech, or or like Travis Pastrana. You always take him when you can get him, and give us a speech on something. But the tagline that we would use for the event was. Work this year, compete next year, and I love it. yeah. Mm-hmm. So we're trying to trying to get new people in, interested in the sport, and and we would we would we I tr- we we started off just trying to assign it or have someone talk about something about rally that how they got into it, and we'd have a co-driver talk or a driver talk or a car builder talk, and encourage people to come out and sign up and work their event. And uh, so uh, I mean, we've been doing that for five years now. And wow. actually, this year, this is another speech I didn't give. I should have introduced the guy that was second in uh, open light because he came up to me uh, during the rally as we were talking with him. He goes, you know, I was at one of your uh, your lectures uh, when I was a senior in college. And uh, the year after I graduated, I bought a car. And uh, now I'm kicking your ass. Well, <laughs> you're not kicking my ass. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, he... He was one of the guys that came to one of my classes, and and we need more events like that that can get people interested in rallying and get them into the sport to work and be competitors or be organizers or be other things too. Uh, I I try to talk to them about 
who here wouldn't want to work on their resume and have some kind of leadership skill added to your resume or management skills added to your resume, which being a leader or organizer and rally, it's definitely, it's, it's project management, it's leadership yeah. skills, mm-hmm. it's, it's administrative, it's all these things that are important on a resume. You can, I'll get it at a rally. And, you know, everybody looked at me like I was an idiot, but. Even no, working, even Tech's a lot has a lot of uh, engineering students, even getting to be part of a crew and work on a car and say, you're able to, you know, fix and solve problems under a high in high pressure situation in a rally that's another thing you put on a resume and being able to help out that way is just as important too i mean you're also under the clock there so you have to you know talk about project management it's rapid fire too it's like okay how long does it take me to do this thing how long does it take me to do that we've got 30 minutes on the clock that means i can get this done that done this thing here that's going to take longer we can get it 80 percent fixed or you know you, you, there's yeah. or coming up with wow. fixes with just the bailing wire and duct tape you got in a toolbox yeah what's the, and zip ties always <laughs> zip ties. Yeah, zip ties. what's the <laughs> story where you your crew chief made you walk over to the oh. bar and grab a thumbtack <laughs> all right so uh one of the lake superior rallies started off we're going we're going really hard and uh we come around a corner and we get two flat tires on one side of the car we're running the pirelli rally tire and we come around the corner bomb bomb two flat tires we go around the next corner there's like four cars lined up changing tires holy crap there's a razor blade rocks in there or something i don't know um so we took the spare put it on the front we finished the stage um dragging the back we're into the car and we sliced the brake line so we got three wheels and uh no brakes we finished the stage and Back then, a lot of people ran talons, and we borrowed a tire from Chris Sizio and Eric Carlson, put it on the car. We got one more stage to do before service. We put it on the car. <laughs> now we got four wheels and no brakes, which was worse. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we did that, and we, we get the service. And my crew chief, a guy named Carl Kiernan, is a longtime rally competitor as well, and car builder. He, uh, I, We come into service, and I tell him what's wrong, he goes, all right, go into the bar. This is when we had service right in, right in, uh, what's the town? Copper Harbor? No, no, we were in the little town on M28. Are you, um, um, anyway, he goes, go in the bar. We're servicing right along the main highway. Go in the bar and get me a thumbtack off the wall. What? Um, in my mind is like, my cartoon bubble is, what the hell? Walk, so I'm walking in the bar to go get a thumbtack, and the whole time I'm muttering to myself, Jeez, Karloff, if you wanted to get rid of me so you can fix the car, just tell me to go away. You don't need to send me on a stupid miscellaneous errand to get a thumbtack. So I go in the bar. I find the bulletin board. I grab a thumbtack off the wall. I come, I'm, like, dragging my feet, hunched over, like, sad sack Eeyore from Winnie the Pooh. Come back with a thumbtack. Okay, Carl, I got your thumbtack. Like, oh, I don't – I was fully expecting him to say, well, I don't need it anymore. Just – I got to fix it. Go away. He goes, he said, take the rubber brake line that's shredded apart, put the thumbtack in there, tighten everything back together and bleed all the brakes. Genius <laughs> idea. Wow. <laughs> so, so I went ahead. I it's went just ahead. the right I, diameter to shove in there, isn't it? It is. Well, we needed to file it just a hair, not much. Anyway, put it all together, bled the brakes out. Got three brakes. Who cares? We're going rallying still. <laughs> and we're, I, I later calculated that at that point we were like dead last out of like 35 cars or something. 
and uh, in the national. Uh, the next stage we went out on Bob Lake, and uh, I hit a deer, and uh, we hit a deer anyway. When Carlson and Sizio got to the deer there, they saw the the deer laying outside the road with the head off the body and oh, steam pouring no. from the neck. And uh, Carlson just started laughing, and Sizio was like, "What? What? What?" Well, you know that Jingrass hit it with the night he's having. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, we uh, we finished the rally like ninth overall or something. We come all the way back to ninth place, so it was, you know, it's pretty good. But I got so much crap for being a youper and not grabbing the deer and bringing it to the the awards banquet. Yeah, that is a night. Come on, man. We go there. Yeah. <laughs> oh wow. I, I don't know. You know, when I retire from rally, I hope I have stories half as good as this. <laughs> uh, I'm hoping for more. What do you mean? There you go. <laughs> so, so Katie, any plans of getting behind the wheel yourself? I would love to. Um, it, depending on uh, if Dad wants to co-drive for me with the, or let me take no, the new car out with Camille. Co- you're going to co-drive with Camille, and we're gonna, me and Eric are going to be in service. Drinking beer. <laughs> awesome. So, so I mean, have, well, has she done any like rallycross stuff? You know, some just, you know, like SCCA rallycross stuff or anything like that? No, or? no I haven't done any rallycross stuff yet. Um, so, so the deal was going to be that we're going to do some rallycrosses this, this summer. Yeah. When, when she can beat me, she can do a stage rally. Oh. oh. Ooh, yeah. challenge. But uh, bar, hey, she's young. She's going to be quick. Well, yeah. then, I, then I admitted to her that when I had the yellow WRX, the the engine uh, control module that we had in there had two settings. It had street and race. And um, I asked if I could do it with the one we got in this car, which is just the stock Subaru that's reflashed. I, I talked to the engine guy and see if, if we could do that. I didn't want to tell her that. I always set hers to street mode and I got race <laughs> mode. But uh, it can't do that. So, I, so it's not an option. I just got to be better than she is. You can't just uh, flick the switch for daddy advantage mode, huh? No, no, I can't. <laughs> but the truth is, uh, I, one of the reasons, there was many reasons why we decided to go open light. And I like open light. It's a better name than or W D A W whatever <laughs> alphabet soup. <laughs> yeah, yeah, open light is a cool name. Um, mm-hmm. So that she could drive the car. Yeah. But having said that, I'm having too much damn fun. She's gonna have to wrestle that seat away from me. Yeah, he's mentioned about putting like a turbo in or some other thing. But... Nah. Yeah. Open light's a open light. For anybody reading this, open light used to be like the beginner class. Forget that. There's a lot of competition. Yep. It's more yep. driver ability. Shi- driver ability shines more in open light than any other class, except they got to outlaw the six-cylinder engine. Put those in production GT or SB or whatever those are. It should be a four-cylinder class. Yeah, it's kind of, it's kind of. I mean, granted, I've also seen though where, you know, because it is an open type of classes, I've seen like race motor versions of uh, Subaru motors. Uh, you know, that can just string out at high RPM versus yeah. ones that are just built for reliability. And those guys are just... Yeah, but when you can drop a six-cylinder engine in there... Yeah, the six-cylinder one, I mean, that just kind of... Well, okay, you just... It's got, it's got 100 more horsepower than my car does over the gate. What? Yeah. How yeah. fair is that? <laughs> Definitely a little bit different, for sure. They sound good, though. 
from a spectator standpoint, they sound great. <laughs> no, it's not like a Subaru. They sound like a Mitsubishi. That's true. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. But they do sound really good. Yeah, so we're, we're obviously we're sat here and we're, we're all having a great high old time laughing and joking about all this good stuff. So, so uh, how is lockdown going for you guys, you and your family over there? Are you, are you laughing and joking like this all the time or how how are you doing? We're doing a pretty good job of laughing and joking around and we're getting some work done on the car. Oh. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm in sale. I used to be an electrical engineer. Now I sell the stuff that I used to engineer with and I can do a lot of that from home anyway. I still have customer calls and and meetings with customers over Zoom and Skype and Microsoft Teams now and get to go out and see customers once in a, once in a blue moon and uh the car's all taken apart right now but we're still way ahead of where we were a year ago mm-hmm. <laughs> and, the, and lake superior is probably going to be the next race we get to do anyway so yeah at this rate unfortunately i don't know we'll see um looks like things are starting to slowly open up but uh it's 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 hard and you know folks gotta be extra careful now so it's uh definitely a, a a different world not not any but thing anybody could expect but oh, uh, absolutely. oh yeah. absolutely but rally, rally will recover yeah and, yeah and rally it's not like uh going to a baseball game where everybody's can can find together i think that with without too much trouble we can make rally uh you know fairly safe and still be able to go out and have some fun and compete and, and have spectators and everything so uh, i think mm-hmm. without too much work we can do that mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And of course, get uh, Katie out there doing some rally crosses and beating you. Exactly. Dreams. <laughs> <laughs> uh, actually, uh, kind of going back just a moment, uh, there was one other aspect, I guess, of the uh, the sports change that I wanted to uh, talk to you about, and I might just kind of splice it in a, a little bit earlier. Um, you know, we one thing that I've noticed in the recent last couple of years is the kind of arrive and drive options for drivers that instead of building their own car that uh, we've seen that is more the European style with, you know, ODD racing, doing it, you know, Team O'Neill's kind of done this for a little while. Um, not so much anymore, of course. Um, but now you got, you know, Savage Dave's going to be doing it. You've got, of course, what uh, been uh, done by McKenna Motorsports um, as a, as an additional option, I guess, to see these kind of really fantastic cars because, you know, you, you're doing the, the yeah, open light, we'll call it that because it's easier to say. Uh, the open light cars, th- those cars are just aging out. They're, I don't know how long we're going to have it. So trying to see, you know, what that next car is that's going to be an affordable thing to kind of compete in. I, I love the R2s personally. I, I think for a two-wheel drive car, they're really cool. They're mm-hmm. not four-wheel drive and whatnot, but they're they're pretty quick. But, uh, but yeah, I guess I was going to ask your opinion of, you know, I guess this kind of transition we've kind of seen over the last few years instead of, so many people just building their own car and having to maintain it themselves is kind of a dry, arrive and drive deal. Well, I've actually done a couple of arrive and drives and it was really nice. And I had vowed never to own another car again, like 15 years ago. Um, but the one thing that he, I found that I gave up when I did arrive and drive was control. The guy that owned the car dictated how we wanted the car done and everything. And so I, I don't know. Tinkering for me personally, Tinkering with the car and stuff, uh, trying to make it better and going out for an hour and working on something ridiculously stupid is fun and relaxing for me. So mm-hmm. I don't mind it so much. 
it's not like it's been dictated by homologation. You can still do what you want, really, with it, too, to yeah. some extent. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you got to follow the rules and be within the rules. Where, you know, I hired a professional person to do the roll cage. I've done several roll cages, so he knew what was going on. And we made sure that we had in, uh, input from Hearst on what the rules were going to be, not just what they are. So it felt really good about the cage, and and this guy had done stuff. But then it was all us putting everything back together and converting it. Thought it was started. Car started out as a three hundred dollar car from Arizona. That was a an awesome one point eight liter front wheel drive automatic. <laughs> wow. And then we uh, we also bought a uh, for a two thousand Forester for the engine, transmission, drivetrain, wiring harness, everything from the Forester mm-hmm. came and we we put it in the in the car and made it all wheel drive. And I'll tell you what, it was kind of a bonding experience with, with Katie. Helping yeah. I was just wondering well, about that. Because, I mean, th- that's the other aspect, right? Is, you know, ride and drive sounds great and all, but there's this process, you know, when it comes to the, the car build that's, uh, you know, especially when it's done in a family aspect like this or with friends, you know, that a team that kind of brings everybody together, right? Yeah. Although she does not want to take the gas tank out again. Yeah, we had to take it out <laughs> like 10 times. <laughs> <laughs> well, four or five anyway. It felt but, like 10. <laughs> I know. And, and what I like about that is I know like I know basically every nut and bolt on the car and a rattle comes up in the middle of the stage. I can kind of know what it is. Mm-hmm. But having said all that, I mean, if an arrive and drive for someone that's never done a rally before, to go to Tim O'Neill's rally school to and then do an arrive and drive to see if you like the sport before you plucked out a lot of cash, is a really cool way to do it, and you don't have to you don't have to drive a WRX open car to, mm-hmm. to do an arrive and drive. You can do a you know a front wheel drive Focus or something, and just to see if you like it or not, it's definitely a good way to do it. I will I will say too that the way to get fast, you know, I get this question a lot. How do you get to be so fast? Well, I'm I was old school. I grew up driving in snow and ice and learning to drive in snow and ice, and backwoods going deer hunt with my dad and that soon became the most fun part of the whole deer hunting thing was driving to and from but you saw that on the ewrc that i've done well over 100 alleys i got to be fast by miles in the woods so today if you want to be fast and by doing a lot of events so today if you want to be fast instead of going to an event or two save your money and go to tim o'neill or dirtfish and it'll cost you It'll cost you two or three events to go do an event like that, but the amount of experience that you're going to gain by doing that will put you a, a year or two ahead in your speed of where you should mm-hmm. be if you didn't do that. And and it's much safer, and you're not going to break the car as much and spend less money or time fixing the car too. And you'll have an instructor there that can see what you're doing wrong and help point things out. Yeah, you don't have to... One of the things that it took me a long time to learn, and it was kind of the key that made me go faster, was I used to charge into the corners and pitch the car sideways and fling gravel like there was no tomorrow and be really, really cool because rally drivers drive sideways, right? Well, I spend my whole time backpedaling through the corner trying to stay on the road, and then once I get the car around the corner, then I would accelerate away. You know what? a lot faster to break in a straight line slow the car down take a good line and accelerate through the corner just a little bit sideways much faster much Mm -hmm. safer Mm -hmm. much more momentum you're controlling momentum you're keeping your momentum going in the right it took me so long to learn that if i'd have learned that sooner from a rally school i'd have been faster 
earlier or, or just playing faster than I ever got. So you start with the, you know, you're, you're racing now with an NA4 car, but you started with a two-wheel drive. Do you think folks should start two-wheel drive? I, I firmly believe that you should start it with, if you like front-wheel drive or wheel drive, whatever you're most comfortable with, you start there. And a low-horsepower car, do that for a little bit, and then build horsepower or step up to a better car, which could be a wheel drive. Um, but start with low horsepower so you learn the car to dri- learn to drive the car efficiently. So you learn what's going to happen before it happens. One of the biggest differences between an experienced driver and a newbie driver is that the experienced driver knows he's in deep trouble way before he really is, and he still has time to deal with it. A newbie driver doesn't know he's in deep trouble until the car's on a throw. Yeah, good, good sound advice here. So it's like I'm, I'm thinking, you know, there's been a lot of posts on Facebook lately about people wanting to get started in uh, rally and wanting, wanting to know what's the best, the best way to go about rallying. And it's like you've just summed up a whole lot of it there. Yeah, I, I firmly believe you start low horsepower and you learn to drive the car efficiently. You learn to take a proper line, then you build horsepower slowly over time. You spend more money on the motor and spend more money going to races. You go to a rally school. You get faster over time. Then you step up to your – you do that in a piece of crap car that you're not afraid to write off because you could write the car off on the first corner of, the, of your first rally. And it's better to do that in a $5,000 car that you don't care about than your you know, $50,000 dream car that you, you saved all your life to, to buy and looks really cool. There's one thing I wanted to to ask ask you. It's been a couple of couple of years now since we uh, heard anything about uh, your other daughter, Gabby. Well, the, 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 you were having the problems with the health insurance and getting the the dental work sorted. How is how is Gabby doing now? Because this was like two years ago. So uh, yeah. So for anybody that doesn't know, so Gabby has an extremely rare condition where she does not feel pain. She doesn't feel pain at all, and before you start thinking it's really cool, it's a horrible condition. Mm-hmm. You, you don't know when you hurt yourself. You don't know when you're doing really bad things to your body. Uh, Gabby spent nine months at the Mayo Clinic getting her spine uh, completely rebuilt. And uh, I'm happy to tell you today that she can walk. We, uh, she, mm-hmm. she was, uh, yeah, there was a time when we thought she'd be confined to a wheelchair, but she can still walk today. She uh, just finished up her second year at uh university of minnesota morris uh which is like two hours away from home and i'm pretty sure that she drew a line that was two hours away from home and any school outside of that was acceptable so uh, <laughs> so yeah so she's doing fantastic out there uh actually uh her and mom had a visit to the mayo clinic today to review to to just do a checkup on her her back and her eyes she's also legally blind from scratching her own eyes and uh, she, her best tested vision is 2200, which means what we can see from 200 feet away, she has to be 20 feet away to see, so our vision is basically 10 times better than hers. But uh, everything today went very well. We're actually going back there tomorrow, and the purpose of tomorrow's visit is to meet with some, we want to talk about getting some dental implants. She has to do some bone grafting to be able to do that to get mm-hmm. teeth because she doesn't have teeth when yeah. she was a baby. Uh, she would uh, chew on her tongue 
and fingers and we pulled her baby teeth and then the adult teeth came in one by one and she would break them off chewing on toys. So uh, we're trying to get uh, some dental implants now so she can have teeth. But uh, overall, things are going pretty good with her. That's, that's great to hear because, yeah, because I know there was back then there were some uh, there were some GoFundMe pages, wasn't there? And I know that many members of the rally community helped but by donating to those so i'm sure the people that want that uh donated to that would be happy to hear what's happened in the past two years that's great news yep so she's doing really good though she's really enjoying her time at morris she is uh, going to school for environmental studies which is mm-hmm. probably going to lead to being uh some type of an uh, environmental lawyer or writer and uh she's doing really good well you got some Pretty successful kids there. Uh, getting what, what I'm shocked is that uh, you have, you know, uh, one girl that, that's finished college and the other one's in college, and you still have a race car. I, I'm actually shocked by that. Well, you got to remember, it's a $300 car. <laughs> <laughs> fair point. Fair point. Most of that investment is in elbow grease, right? Well, uh, yeah. Well, it started out as a $300 car. It's not quite $300. Yeah, it, it's it looks pretty damn good, I must say. When I saw that thing roll out at LSPR, I'm like, "This is Steve's car. It, it it's it's rather cherry looking. Well well good, well done build." Yes, uh, I'm actually very proud of it. But uh, uh, the the night before we left for LSPR, Katie was taking pictures of the car, and uh, I told her to take lots of pictures because it's never gonna look this good again. And her eyes got really big. Like, what do you mean? It's like no. I- told you we need to take pictures because it's never going to look that good again because I know you. <laughs> well, the car looks really good and uh, I'm, I'm guessing uh, so, so So that's the, the plan at least right now as far as next uh, stage rally event is LSPR when it comes around again or if something else opens early, what would you go to? Yeah, well, we're, we're I expect to get the transmission back like in two weeks. We got the clutch today. Uh, we're having a guy go through back through the transmission and uh, um gonna go through that and then we're getting we're uh, working on a steering rack and i got a guy working on that so we'll hopefully get that back like in two weeks too so put the car we should have the car back on the road within a month uh so uh we're looking at doing headwaters uh we did want to try to do the cup rallies because those are bill westrick's rallies uh cup one and he's doing a second cup rally yeah uh, i don't know if we're going to be able to do those this year maybe next year those are nasa rallies so uh if uh, if Ojibwe happens, we'll probably do Ojibwe in Lake Superior. Mm-hmm. So, kind of stick close to home. Next year, next year yeah. we want to try to do do uh, one of the Missouri rallies mm-hmm. if we if we can add that, and then maybe uh, Snowdrift summer, summer too. Yeah. But our our yeah, overall goal is to do two to three events a year that we want to do strictly for fun. But you know, if we're going to be there, obviously I want to try to win the class, and you know. I think our motto should be "Have fun, kick butt." Drink beer. I like yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Well, I think that's a perfect way to end. Yeah. It was so fun to have you two on the show, talk some great stories from in the past. And Katie, I'm excited for you uh, getting uh, either in the co-driver's seat and maybe eventually in the driver's seat. That's that's pretty cool to uh, to see how well you guys are uh, gelling together there. Uh, I, I guess any last words for uh, folks that you'd like that are listening to this that uh, they might want to know about you guys and maybe how to follow you when you guys are competing. We have a couple videos on YouTube, Jingrass Rally Sport, but. Uh, you can see Lake Spear uh, Rally, which I've watched. Yeah, me, uh, like, 
watch me be really conservative on the front, fast, stupid, fast stuff, and then go really fast on the really tight, twisty, muddy stuff. Yeah. <laughs> we gotta, we gotta get air going into the spectator the on Bob spectator Lake. Spectator corner on Bob Lake. Yeah, we did yeah, not get she, air last year. She's mad that we didn't get air at the, the Bob Lake Spectator Corner at Lake Superior. We had been, we were on the run up to it. We had been redlining in fourth gear, which is 110 miles an hour, but. Dad wimped out and slowed down for the spectator corner. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't just back it into that thing, huh? <laughs> no, if you watch, I take a really good line. I slow it on, I come through, I accelerate through the corner. Just, just like, like you explained it. To. Yeah. <laughs> you did take a good yeah. line. Um, there could have been more speed before you started braking, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. oh, there we go. Found it. Gingrass Rally Sport on, on YouTube. I'm subscribed now. Why, yeah. thank you. So you can watch me be really slow and conservative. And, like, I get up the fourth gear. You watch me. I'll get up the fourth gear and scare myself and go back to third. And the road <laughs> is, like, three lanes wide and straight ahead. Like, what am I thinking? <laughs> no, but then, awesome. like, near the end of the rally, I'm in. The, I'm still, like, top of third gear, touching fourth gear. And it's, like, really narrow and overgrown and rough and muddy. And I'm going just as fast. Like, I, that's my – so my goal for next year is to drive more aggressively and keep the car on the right power band and – and catch air on Bob Lake. Yeah. <laughs> well, we hope to be there and watch you do it. Again, Steve Gingrass, Katie Gingrass, thank you so much for being on the show. I finally said the name right, Gingrass. Very good. Yeah. It only took me the yeah. whole entire podcast to get that right. <laughs> well, thank you so much for both being on the show. It's always fun to just uh, to hear from folks that have competed both then and now. Uh, once again, uh, we want to send our thoughts out to all of our friends and family that are first responders, doctors, nurses, anyone else that's uh, even in the food industry or whatever that's on the front lines during this uh, COVID outbreak. And remember, if you uh, like what we're doing here on the show, it really helps us a lot. If you give us a like, give us a follow on iTunes, leave a comment. Um, that always uh, boosts our rating and uh, makes other people find us too. You can also tell your smart speaker to, tell the, uh, to play the Open Paddock Rallycast. And uh, like I said... Thanks for listening. I'm your host, Mike Shaw. Stay healthy, stay safe, and keep it shiny side up.